Today's scripture is found in Revelation, and I'm looking this up like I don't know my own scripture. <laughs> Revelation 3, verses uh, 14 uh, through 16. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold or hot, or with thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. All right. So, as many of you know, I was born in this church. So I have seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen a lot of um, loved ones come and go. And as I was trying to find a, a topic to do this sermon, I actually had a different topic I was looking through. But this kept popping up. And when I delved deeper into it, I decided that this is what I would do it about. And that would be over the state, over uh, American, American Christianity. Um, as you know, we've been doing a lot of evangelism for a long time. And sometimes it just seems like we just don't bear any fruit. Like it's, it's almost like we're being ignored, even, even in our own communities. And we, ask, and we often ask ourselves, why? Why our heart, we're pouring our heart into this work. And it's bearing little fruit. But I would, that's what this sermon is about. It's about why is that happening? What's the big picture that's happening? And did Jesus talk about that? And he did. He talked about these days as we go forward. And hopefully the message would be don't, not to be discouraged. In fact, um, I think there's a lot of things that we're, we're missing here that we need to come back to. And um, I think it's been pronounced a little bit more because we had this pandemic for the last two years and we haven't been able to do as much evangelism as we would like. And we've been stuck in our homes for a good portion of it. And people are kind of staying away from each other. So it, like these things kind of have been pronounced in my own mind, like, like am I falling asleep as a Christian. And we're going to talk about that in this sermon about the sleeping virgins and the church of Laodicea. Um, and it's, and it's, mis- it's unfortunate because we live in America. Like, this country was founded on freedom and freedom of worship. Like, we don't suffer uh, religious persecution. We can come and worship together and not feel like the police are going to come in and arrest us all. Whereas that is not the case in the other parts of the world. And however you feel about the government or our country, like it was founded upon Christian beliefs and values, right? Whether we've lived up to those values or not, it was founded upon those values. And so I I got to think, like, where are we at? Because Jesus said that we would fall asleep. Where are we at in, in time's history with the state of Christianity as a whole? And this is, sermon is not about... Um, unbelievers it's about the church itself as a whole protestants uh, catholics everybody and so i have a question and, and will you get the mic yeah. i'm gonna ask questions in the sermon and if you want to say something no, no, just no, raise no. Your hand. yeah just go out yeah. and i got some there's some research that was done um by the pew research center where they talk they ask people they call people and they ask people about 
about Christian, like Christian beliefs and stuff. And I'm going to share those stats with you, which they're very alarming. So, um, from a generational standpoint, what direction do you think we're, we're going? Do you think each generation is coming more religious or less religious? Less, probably. You'd probably be a little shocked by the numbers that I'm about to present, but that's the case. And so, we're going to look at the silent generation, which is like uh, the 1920s, like the, the generation right before the baby boomers. The baby boomers, X, my, my generation, which is the saddest one <laughs> so far, the millennials. And we're not, even, we're not going to touch Generation Z and Generation Alpha. That's the ones coming up. Um, but my generation is sad, guys. It's, it's, it's really, really, really sad. Um, but yeah, let's let's we're gonna I'm, we're gonna go over this. We're gonna discuss it a little bit, and then we're gonna talk about about our first love as a church. You know that fire that we should all have as we're trying to live in these last days, because the I believe the only way we're gonna stay awake is if we're in that state of that first love that you had when you first joined the church. Now I was born into the church, so. I don't have that story where I was out living out, doing my own thing, and then the Lord came to me, and I had that first love that when you come into the church, I don't have that. And, I mean, I've been blessed. I am not complaining, (laughs) right? But I can imagine there's a different kind of love when you feel that difference of being lost and then being saved. Whereas I've been born and have been fortunate enough to live in a, in a family that I was raised in God's love and faith. And I understand what he's doing for our family. I understand. But I think we forget sometimes the rest of the world where they grew up in families and homes where they didn't know Christ. They knew in their hearts because it's written in their hearts. But they didn't have a relationship. They believe that the world is millions of years old. They don't. They believe that. You know, they're, they're, they may not even believe in God for, for all that. But for the people who are in the church who profess to be Christians, where are we at right now? So, first question is, what is a Christian? Anybody? What is a Christian? Somebody that loves the Lord. Somebody that loves the Lord. I think a lot of people believe that if you go to a church... And you and you become a member and get your names on the books. That makes you a Christian. Is that true? Because the word Christian is what Christ-like. It's an adjective. It's not actually a, a, a form you fill out and become something, right? <laughs> it means to live your life in a Christ-like manner, to model your life after Christ. So there's a lot of people walking around today calling themselves a Christian. Who are in no way Christian, right? And what we're going to go over today with these stats, it's kind of sad because I'm not even talking about true Christians here. Like the numbers are even smaller when you think about the remnant, the people who are trying to walk that walk and not just talk the talk. People are trying to live that life. Like we're not talking about that. We're talking about the entirety of the Christian faith. So what I did is I'm going to have Sebastian come here. He's going to read this parable of the ten virgins because this parable is talking about us. Um, 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the be- to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. I try to give them as much time up here as possible. <laughs> I'm going to make a pastor on the day. They ain't careful. <laughs> so it's talking about. The church. And do some of the virgins fall asleep and the others stay awake? It said all of them, right? So I, what I did is I found an article by Danny Vieira uh, talking about the call to the sleeping virgins. And I thought it was pretty good, so I'm going to go over that first. And then we're going to go into the numbers, which are alarming. There are two statements in the spirit of prophecy that motivate me to search the parable of the ten virgins for as for hidden treasures. One of them is found in the Review and Herald, September 19 of 1890, and it says, I am referred to the parable of the ten virgins, five of whom were wise and five foolish. This parable has been and will be fulfilled in the very letter, for it has special application to this time. And like the third angel's message, has been fulfilled and will continue to be present uh, to be present truth until the close of time. In the parable, the ten virgins had lamps, but only five of them have the saving oil, which was to keep their lamps burning. This represents the condition of the church. The second statement is an article on the parable of the ten virgins in the Review and Herald on October 31st of 1899, and it says, Every specification of this parable should be carefully studied. As Christ sat upon the party that waited for the bridegroom, he told his disciples the story of the ten virgins by their experience illustrating the experiences of the church that shall live just before his second coming. The two classes of watchers represent the two classes who profess to be waiting for the Lord. They are called virgins because they profess a pure faith. By the lamps is represented the word of God, the psalmist says. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, Psalms 199-105. Remember that there were ten virgins. They all had lamps, and the lamps were all lit. They all initially had oil. They were all anxiously awaiting the bridegroom, and they were all, there was a delay. In this delay, they grew very weary. Hour after hour passed, and God, God's people began to slumber and sleep. And at midnight, the call was heard, and all ten arose. They saw a procession going by. Um, the ten virgins seized their lamps and began to trim them. Only five of them had the oil, so needed. Those who had the oil made preparation, joined with this procession of people going by and entered into the house of the bridal train. Let us remember also that every specification of this parable is to be studied and it is, has been and will be fulfilled to the very letter. When the bride, bridal party, remember the bride is the true church, 
came along, the call was given, and five of the waiting virgins representing the professed church joined with the bridal party and went in to, to the feast. For a while, the waiting, uh, the waiting virgins all looked the same until there was a shaking, a message that startled them from their lethargy. It then became apparent who had, been, who had made preparation and who had not. To the five who were the foolish virgins, the master said, I, do, I know you not, that were left without in the blackness of night. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth. But they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit working. Um, they have not fallen upon the rock, Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken up. Um, and that's in Christ's Legends Objects. Ellen White also tells us that they were not, they're not open sinners. They are professed Christians. In the time of peril, they are found wanting in their Christ's peace and safety. In the Seventh-day Adventist um, Bible commentary, Ellen White states three different times that the bride is the church, the Lamb's wife. That is stated in Christ's Objects Lessons that the ten virgins illustrate the church that shall live before the second coming of Christ. In trying to understand their apparent contradiction, I began to study how could the bride, who is obviously with the party that is passing by on their way to the wedding, and the waiting ten virgins both represent the church of Christ. I found some very interesting and enlightening statements regarding this parable. All the Christian world is represented in this parable. The bride constitutes the church that is waiting for the second appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Did you notice that the church, God's true church, is represented by the bride? A little further along in the same article, Ellen White, speaking specifically of the ten virgins, says that they represent the church of professed Christians. Here we have a distinction being made between the true and professed church. In Christ's object lessons, by torchlight, the bridal party proceeded from her father's house to his own, where a feast is provided for the invited guests. In the scene upon which God look, um, in the scene upon which Christ looks, a, cro- a company, the professed church, are awaiting the appearance of the bridal party intended to join the procession. We are told in the spirit of prophecy that the five wise virgins joined with the little company, the true church, that had given them the light. Ellen White also makes another observation. At midnight, the cry is heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. The sleepers suddenly awakening spring to their feet. They see the procession moving on, bright with torches, glad with music. Friends, I was puzzled. I thought the cry is coming from the bride, but the bride is the church, and yet the ten virgins are the church. As I studied further, everything began to come clear. As Paul preached of two Israels, literal Israel and spiritual Israel, this is the, so this parable represents the literal or professed church members and spiritual or faithful and true church members. Wise virgins, please let us wake up. This is a procession going, there's a procession going by. I see it in Caleb and Joshua outside. I see it in the camp meetings across the country. I see it in the voice of the independent ministry speaking loud and clear, a distinct message, prepare to meet thy Lord. So, we've been preaching that the Lord was coming back for a long time now, haven't we? Very long time. And you get the sense that there are a lot of people who are starting to say, just think to themselves, well, he's never coming back, or he's not coming back in my lifetime, right? It's a very, a lot of people are getting discouraged, um, People aren't studying, coming to church as much as they used to, or they're leaving the church, especially the young, right? As the generations get younger and younger, the, the more they're leaving the church. It's what we've had many sermons about 
How do we keep our youth engaged in church? So, can you, I hope you can see these um, graphs, but I'm going to read to you what these graphs are saying. And this is from, this is actually the stats of what they call people and uh, done this survey. All right. The religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, which is good since the last two years have been a pandemic, so it's kind of hard to look at these two years about what's going on. Uh, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians, 65%, um, when asked about their religion, down 12% percentage points over the past decade. So from 2009 to now, We've lost 12% of people who, claim, who call themselves Christians. Um, meanwhile, the religious unaffiliated share of the population consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular now stands at 26%, up from 17% in 2009. So you see a reversal. Um, uh, and I, if, I, if I felt like I had time, I would have really went into agnostic and all this, these other forms. But basically, non-affiliated is kind of like non-denominational or people who are Christians, but they don't, they don't belong to a church, right? Um, that's what they're talking about. Um, both Protestants and Catholics are experiencing losses of population share. Currently, 43% of U.S. adults identify as Protestants, down from 51% in 2009. That's, what is that, 8%? We're down 8% in 10 years. And one in five adults, or 20% of Catholics, are down from 23% in 2009. Meanwhile, all subset of the religious unaffiliated population, a group also known as religious nuns, have seen their numbers swell. So people are becoming, like they're leaving the church, but they're still claiming to be Christian. Self-described atheists now account for 4% of the U.S., Adults up modestly from, but significantly from two percent in two thousand nine. Agnostics make up five percent of the U.S. adults, up from three percent um, a decade ago. And seventeen percent of Americans now describe their religion as nothing in particular, up from twelve percent in two thousand nine. Members of non-Christian religions also have grown modestly as a share of the adult population. Like I don't know about you, but that's that's a um, that's that's alarming. Nothing in particular. Does that sound like someone on fire for Christ? <laughs> Nothing in particular? Wow. Okay. Furthermore, the data shows a wide gap between older gener- Americans, baby boomers, and members of the silent generation, and millennials, which I said I belong to the millennial group, um, in their levels of religious affiliation and attendance. More than 8 in 10 members of the silent generation those between 1928 and 1945 described themselves as Christians, or 84%, which is a high number, right? As do three-quarters of baby boomers, which is 76%. In stark contrast, only half of millennials, 49%, describe themselves as Christians. Four in ten are religious nuns, and, or 40%, and one in ten millennials identify with non-Christian faiths. So it skipped over Generation X, but you see like this big... Eighty-four percent, seventy-six percent, forty-nine percent. Boom! What happened? Think about that for a second. What happened between those two generations? Was it technology? Was it distractions? Was it the level of access that we have to the rest of the world as far as entertainment and um, 
the spread of spiritualism and all these, like the spiritual journey these people say they're going on. Like, what happened? Television. Television, the internet, your smartphones, not being able to focus and like on like read the, not reading books but watching TV. Right? Can't come to church. It's too boring. <laughs> right? There's there's a big shift here. And I think it, I don't think there's an accident that it was it was at the same time that all this stuff came along. So, one, uh, one only about one in three millennials say they attend religious service at least once or twice a month. So one in three, so thirty three percent roughly, roughly two thirds of millennials or sixty four percent attend worship services a few times a year or less often, including about four in ten who say they seldom or never go. Indeed, there are as many millennials who say they never attend religious services at 22% as there are who say they go at least once a week at 22%. That's my generation. We're not even talking about the next generation coming up or the generation below them. You can see this trend of of people's state of religion as it's going down, or to young, it's going down, right? All right, and this is talking about while the trends are clear, the U.S. is steadily becoming less Christian and less religious, uh, religiously observant as the share of adults who are not religious grows. Self-described Christians report that they attend religious services at about the same rate today as in 2009. Today, 62% of Christians say they attend religious services at least once or twice a month, which is identical to the share who said the same in 2009. So in other words, the nation's overall rate of religious attendance is declining, not because Christians are, are attending church less often, but rather because there are now fewer Christians as a share of the population. I like to think about that like this. Think old world, new world. The silent generation, they're from the old world, right? They went to church. <laughs> Mama made you get up and go to church. As the generations have come down and they have started to pass away, attendance, um, there's, people are still attending church who, who, who want to go to church. They're still attending church. There's just less of us. <laughs> That's what they're saying is that we are now becoming less and less of people who are even in the category. Either you're in or you're out. That's what I'm saying. So, let me turn this. All right, the data suggests that Christians are declining, not just as a share of the U.S. population, adult population, but in also in absolute numbers. In 2009, there were approximately 233 million adults in the U.S., according to the Census Bureau. Pew's Research Center surveys conducted at the time indicated that 77% of uh, them were Christian, which means that by this measure, there were approximately 178 million Christian adults in the U.S. in 2009. Taking the margin of error, error of the surveys into account, the number of adult Christians in the U.S. as of 2009 could have been as low as 176 million or as high as 181 million. Today, there are roughly 23 million more adults in the U.S. than there were in 2009, or 256 as of July 1st, 2019. About two-thirds of them, 65%, identify as Christians, according to, um, to, to the 2018 and 2009 research um, that they did. This means that there are now roughly 167 million Christians in the world, uh, in, the uni- in the U.S., 
um, with a lower bound of 164 million and an upper bound of 169 million given the service margin error. Meanwhile, the number of religious unaffiliated adults in the U.S. grew by almost 30 million over this period. So the rising share of Americans who say they attend religious services no more than a few times a year, if at all, has driven a substantial jump in the proportion who say they never go to church. Today, 17% of Americans say they never attend religious services, up from 11% a decade ago. Similarly, the decline in regular church going is attributing mainly to the shrinking share of Americans who say they attend church services at least once a week, which was 37% in 2009 and now stands at 31%. And this is the last one. There's still a, there's, and this is something that have you all noticed. Our church is mostly filled with men or women? Women. There's a gender gap in the Christian world, right? And, this, and, this, and the numbers back that up. There is still a gender gap in American religion. Women are less likely than men to describe themselves as religious nuns. 23% versus 30%. And more likely than men to say they attend religious services at least once or twice a month. 50% versus 40%. But women, like men, have grown noticeably less religious over the last decade. The share of nuns among women has risen by 10%. A percentage point since 2009, similar to the increase among men. And, in, and the share of women who identify as Christian has fallen by 11, 11 points from 80 to 69% over that same period. Christians have declined and nuns have grown as a share of the adult population in all four major U.S. regions. Catholic losses have been most pronounced in the Northeast, where 36% identified as Catholic in 2009, compared with 27% today. Among Protestants, declines were larger in the South, where Protestants now account for 53% of the adult population, down from 64 in 2009. So just in the last decade, there's been a dramatic decrease in the last 10 years of I don't know about you, but when I, read, when I was reading all those numbers, I was like, wow, <laughs> that is that's very discouraging because it kind of gives you an idea and a picture of what our state is as a as a church. And if we're supposed to be the light in the world and doing evangelism and reviving our communities, how are we doing that when we're suffering, suffering from this, this, this amount of uh, decay, I'll say? How, if we're asleep as a church, how are we out spreading the gospel and, and showing people um, Christ's love when it seems like our own churches are dying? That's, that's, that's what that kind of sounds like to me. It's like if the Lord does not come back in the next 20 to 40 years, you're, you're going to see that Christianity is a minority in this country, a significant one. Like he has to come back. This is, this is what he's talking about. He has to come back. Before there becomes a, 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 a situation of universal um, rebellion. You know, I've done sermons about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and what that was really about. It was not really about homosexuality. It was about universal rebellion. They had universally rebelled. And when they had got to the point where he had to destroy the city, there was how many people in the city? <laughs> like universal rebellion. We're getting there. And it's sad. And so that parable of the sleeping virgins and the parable of the church of Laodicea actually are the same. He's telling the same thing here. And 
it's been about 10 years since I've done the seven churches of Revelation. And after going through the sermon, I was like, maybe I should do that again because it's a lead up spiritually and literally of the churches going from Christ's time to this time with it ending with the church of Laodicea. And just for time's purposes, I'm not going to read it. But basically what he's saying is the church had become lukewarm, right? We were neither hot nor cold. So like, let's say you're hot, you're on fire for the Lord. You have that first love. Or you're cold where you're just, just stay away from me. God can actually work with either one of those two kind of churches. He can work with you if you're on fire and he can work with you if you're cold. But when you're lukewarm, when you're kind of, you know, you're comfortable, he, 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 it's hard for him to work with you. Because you don't really see, you don't see a need. Like if you're on fire, you're, I mean, you're on, obviously you're on fire. There's like like he, you're, you're fully into it, right? But when you're cold... You know you're cold. <laughs> Let's be honest. When, when, you, when you've given up on Christ and given up on God and the world and the things that's happening to you and you're wondering why these things are happening to you, God can be like, hey, this is why. And he can work with you and people can talk to you and you'll listen. Not when you look warm because you think you know it all. You got it, right? There's nothing wrong. Everything's good. You're comfortable. So that's what, that's what he's talking about with the church of Laodicea. And... It's just, it's very clear that with each generation, like the state of the church is declining. As the older generations in the old world, which we like to think is barbaric, they actually, they actually were stronger in their faith, right? We seem to be, especially in America, we're very comfortable, right? We are we're a wealthy country, one of the wealthiest on the earth, if not the wealthiest, we don't fear people coming and invading our country like, you, like, the, like in, the, in the Asia or Europe or where we're, we're very comfortable. We feel invincible almost. So that's why, that's why 2000, uh, the, the 2001, that's why that was such a big deal because it was like, oh, we're not untouchable, right? But we're very lukewarm. We're comfortable. And that's, that's really what they're talking about in Laodicea. And... This is not talking about the true remnant. This is just talking about the church. So when you start really thinking about it, who's walking the walk? How many people, how many of those people are left? There's a lot of people coming to church. <laughs> you know, but it's not everybody's walking the walk. And I, even myself, when I was looking at, when I was reading this, and I'm thinking about to myself, am I asleep? You know, like I'm comfortable. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm very comfortable, you know. And. It's become very evident that if we want to wake up, if we want to have that first love, what it really comes down to is doing what he told us to do. Doing evangelism, spreading the gospel. It's not just for the people that you're reaching out to. It's for us. The more you do, the more you invest, the more energy you pour into it, the more fire you're going to be. That's why when you have you ever noticed when you talk to a missionary how on fire they are, how, how much they feel for the people that they're, they're working with, especially when they're going over to another country and they, they see what's happening and they're putting their life on the line because they fully have invested into what they're doing. And, in, and the response in their own heart is that they're on fire. And they're, ready to, they're ready to sacrifice everything. 
doing evangelism, reaching out to people, spreading the gospel, and letting your own life be your biggest ministry is how we stay awake. And I fear that as a church in, 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 this, in this country specifically, we cannot let the discouragement of results stop the work. And I think that was the message he was trying to bestow upon me is that don't give up. Keep working because this is not just for them. This is for you, too. The church itself needs revival. If we want to wake up as a church, we got to be just as focused on spreading the gospel amongst ourselves as the rest of the world, regardless of the results. Plant seeds. That's all he asked us to do. Plant the seeds. Let me worry about the rest of it. Stop getting discouraged. Because that seed that you planted 10 years ago might sprout 20 years from later, 20 years later. You won't even know, but I know. So as we look forward until the Lord comes back, let's not lose our fire for Christ. Let's not stop doing evangelism because we're yielding little fruit. It's for us too. Just like tithe. We pay tithe. Does God need our money? He doesn't need our money. He owns everything. You pay tithe for you. It's for you. You do evangelism for the rest of the world, but you also do it for you. So that was what kind of came to me, and it was kind of a sobering thing when I was going through this, because if you just look at those numbers, it's very discouraging. It's, it's like, wow, as our parents and our grandparents pass away, what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to us? When my generation is old, where is the world going to be? Right? That's what kind of came to me because I'm 30. I'm about to be 39 next this month. But when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, where is this world going to be? <laughs> what are the numbers for the Generation Z and Alpha that's coming down, that's coming up? It doesn't look good. <laughs> We're very distracted right now. The world is distracting us with all this new stuff. And maybe we need to go back to the religion of our fathers and our grandfathers and our grand-grandfathers. Maybe they knew something that we don't know. Maybe it's time to turn off the TVs. Maybe it's time to start praying and, and getting up early in the morning and praying when there's nothing else going on. Because if we don't, we're going to be asleep when he comes back. We're going to be one of those five virgins that have to go and try to find some oil or the Holy Spirit. And we're going to miss out. So, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. Here's the good news. He's, he's gave us more time. This is the, why the delay is happening. He's giving us time. He's saying, wake up. That's what he's saying. He's giving us time. So, let's take that God loves us enough to give us the time to get our own hearts right so that we can go out and save another soul. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, in your wisdom, in your mercy, you're giving us the time to get our hearts right. You're giving us time to renew that fire and that love that we have for you. There's a lot of things happening in this world right now. There's a lot of distractions happening in this world right now. We're losing a lot of people that we love. 
But yet, in this world of turmoil and change, you are a constant. And you said that we can come to you at any time and build that relationship with you. So, Lord, I ask that you be with everyone here and anyone that's listening. Renew that fire in us. Help us all to see the folly of this world and to get over the distractions of this world. Give us the courage to go out and spread the gospel, whatever the price, because we will not always be religiously free. Even now, the government is tipping its toes in those walls of persecution. With, with, you either do what they say or we're going to prosecute you. They're doing it right now, and we can all see it. So, Lord, we all have to make a decision. That's what you said. And that's what the second coming is about. We all, the people left on this earth, if you want to be part of that remnant, we've got to make a decision and make it with all of our heart. And I I ask that you give everyone here the courage to make that decision for you, including myself. Help us to wake up. Thank you so much, Lord, for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.